power of the DJ. It's to motivate the crowd, man. It's to have the insight to motivate the crowd. To have the crowd at your fingertips. To control the crowd. That's the best fucking power. That is a quote from DJ Coolhark when he was asked the question, what is the power of the DJ? DJ Coolhark, whose real name was Clive Campbell, was um, the creator of hip-hop. He was the father of hip-hop, the original virtuoso of DJing and, and hip-hop. I'm going to speak about him today because I feel like the, the vast majority of people who listen to hip-hop well, not who listen to hip-hop. The vast majority of people wouldn't know him. I'd say there are probably a lot of people who listen to hip-hop who do know him. But, for example, I've been listening to hip-hop for years. And I only found out about him when I watched the show The Get Down, like a year ago. And I just think that's unacceptable when he, he created the whole genre. So, I'm going to speak kind of biographically about um, his life, but mainly just about his DJ and career and, and how he influenced hip-hop. So, his real name was Clive Campbell, as I said before. He was born in Jamaica, and he moved from Jamaica. He had been living in a place called Trenchtown, in 2nd Street, near the Ambassador Theatre in Trenchtown in Jamaica. And uh, this is actually where Bob Marley was born. But uh, he moved to New York City when he was only 13 years old, in 1967. And his name, well, Cool Herc. Herc was short for Hercules. Um, he was a big guy and in high school he would have been called, he had a lot of nicknames like Cyclops and he didn't like any of them but uh, somebody started calling him Hercules and at first he didn't like it but eventually it kind of grew on him but he asked them to shorten it and they, they, he said what's the shortened version of Hercules, they said Herc, so he went with that and um, you see there was a massive kind of culture of graffiti in, in New York City when, when Clive moved there and um, he got into it and he, he used to do graffiti with a group called the Ex-Vandals. And they weren't able to pronounce his name. They weren't able to say Clive. So they actually called him Clyde. Because that's what, how they could pronounce it. And he kind of... His name was actually Clyde is Cool. That was, that was what his nickname was with them. And so what he did was, when he became a DJ, he kind of combined the two nicknames. So his name, he took the cool from Clyde is Cool and Hark from Hercules, and he, he became Cool Hark. Now, Hark became a DJ for the first time when his sister Cindy Campbell uh, wanted to have a party at the end of summer before school was starting because um, she wanted to raise a bit of money so that she could uh, buy new clothes for the, for the next year. And so she knew that her brother loved loved music. He was always listening to records, stealing his dad's records and that kind of thing. And um, so she asked him what he DJ. And he kind of, what he would do to make his sound system was he would take speakers from um, like cars, like abandoned cars now, uh, from dumps. And he just, he, his father was a mechanic. So he learned skills from his father to be able to put things together. And he would make, build his own sound system. So, he had this, the first party was called the Back to School Jam, um, and they, I remember he said that they charged 25 cents for fellas, no, 25 cents for ladies and 50 cents for fellas, and then um, Hark loved it, he found it a huge enjoyment when he did it, so he continued to do it, he used to host a load of parties, and it was all in this same place that he hosted the first party, a place called the Recreation Room, on um 1520 Sedgwick Avenue 
in New York City. The, the Back to School Jam was also on August 11th, 1973. So 73 was the year that he started. And then he, he began to do more and more of these parties and DJ at them in the rec room. And um, he would cycle around New York City on his bicycle, well, around the Bronx, and he would put up flyers about advertising his party. One of, the, one of the huge problems in the Bronx at this time, like the Bronx was a very poverty-stricken area. There were huge amounts of poverty, uh, a lot of drug consumption, uh, human trafficking, prostitution, uh, just people who were incredibly poor, living in very tough areas. And Hart grew up in that area. And um, gang culture kind of started just as he was um, beginning to be a DJ. And also, Hart used to do graffiti, as I said, but um, his father was very against it. He, he didn't like the, the idea of people vandalizing and doing graffiti. So Hart got out of it, and then he, this allowed him to get into DJing. But at the time, gang culture was beginning. And um, Hark, obviously, he really he had no time for gang culture. This is what he had to say about gangs in an interview. He said, Gangs, man. They need a place to belong. Punks get into gangs to be a part of something. Some people just ain't shit without being in a crowd. So that's what he thought about gangs. And um, what I think as well is the the parties that he would have hosted and the culture that he created through DJing and what would eventually become known as hip-hop, I think it would have offered a respite to a lot of people in very tough areas who maybe, maybe they didn't get involved in gangs because they decided to get involved in this culture. Or maybe just even the simple, being simply being able to go to a party and just listen to music and enjoy themselves would, would offer them a respite, a break from all the, the horrible po poverty around them. Like as well in the Bronx, there was, buildings weren't built very well. And so there was a, like there was a huge amount of fires around the place. So it was just, if you look up pictures of the Bronx in the seventies, you'll see it was a, just, a, um, just a very tough area for people to live in. And then Herc, the day Herc created what we would call hip hop, well, what he, he created, like the, the, the first step towards hip-hop, what he did was, Hark used to DJ at the parties, and what he would do is, he would put on records, and um, there's a part in, in records, especially in these soul and funk records, which he played, he would never have played disco, because disco at the time was the popular music, and he none of them, this was kind of, they were kind of, in a way, battling against disco, because... To, go, to get into a disco club, you would have to wear a suit at this time. And these people were very poor, so they weren't able to get in because they didn't have suits. So then they were like, alright, fuck that. Let's listen to funk and soul and play that music at our parties. So, um, Hark would play these records and what he noticed was that, um, there's a point called the breakbeat in every, in all these songs. And that is where it's just the drums playing or maybe like very few other instruments, but there's definitely no vocals at this point. And um, this is when everyone would start dancing. And uh, people used to do crazy sorts of dancing and it was called breaking. And this would eventually come to be known as break dancing, but at the time it wasn't. It wasn't called break dancing at the time, it was called breaking. And the people who used to break were called break boys and break girls. And, he, and Herc coined the term B-boys, B-girls, shorten it to that. He coined that term himself. So, um, what he did was, there was one party where he thought, Jesus, they're all going crazy whenever I play the breakbeats. How about I extend the breakbeat? 
make it longer so that they can dance for longer. So what he did was he got two record players and he had the same song playing on either record player. And he would play the breakbeat on one and just as it was beginning to end, he would start playing the breakbeat again on the other and he would go back and forth and back and forth. So he had this never ending breakbeat and people went absolutely insane for it. And this spawned the hip hop because what would people would eventually do was they would eventually start rapping over this. So what happened was, um, there's a, first I'll explain with the records, um, Herc would have played double B-side records. Now, a double B-side record is a record that has a song on one side and the same song on the other side. However, on the other side, it is just the instrumental. Like there's no vocals and there's no, um, no, there's no vocals, sorry. So that would be a lot easier to have a breakbeat because there's no chance of any vo vocals, do you get me? So that was called a double B-side record, whereas the, the stereotypical record was called a double A-side record. And that would have one song on either side, so two different songs. And what Herc would do with his records, uh, he used to soak the labels so that you couldn't see what the, what the song he was playing was because he wanted to keep a sense of anonymity about it. And this way, if people didn't know what he was playing, they couldn't go out and buy the records themselves and listen to them themselves because then they would have no need to go to the parties. So in that way, he kept people coming back and kept so he, he would be able to make a living so people would keep going to his parties. So that was the reason behind that. And then also, I'll explain here. The people who began to rap were called MCs. Um, MC stands for Master of Ceremony. And it was a term like used a, a long time before uh, hip hop came around and these parties came around. Like uh, comedians were called MCs. Just people who performed with a microphone and talked or sang or whatever were kind of called MCs. But um, they kind of re revitalized this term and used it in this way. So people began to rap over the breakbeat. And um, Cool Herc's MC was a guy called Coke Rock. But um, what, what MCing came from was a culture that Herc brought over from, from Jamaica, which he remembered from his childhood, and that was called toasting. In Jamaica, people would often play music and they would speak over it and talk about maybe like the current affairs in the area, any good or bad news they had. But they would speak in a very like uh, elegant and uh, kind of an almost lyrical way. And he took that and brought it over to America. So people started like, what they would do is they would do this and then they'd start rhyming. But he never really rapped. He would make a toast, but he wouldn't really rap. He would just say a few words, maybe shout out one of his friends. And I'll actually, I'll read out an example of a Cool Herc toast. So it goes like this. You never heard it like this before and you're back for more and more and more. And this say, rock next. You see, I rock with the rockers and jam with the jammers. Young lady, don't hurt nobody, because remember, it's no fun without we all get some. Ain't no story can be told, ain't no book can be stopped. And in the disco, I can rock. Herc Herc. Now that's a, you can see he's not rapping there, but there's the odd rhyme and there's a, there's a, there's a flow to it. It's kind of like a piece of prose and um, people would have really enjoyed that. And also there was a, one of his friends, Pricky, who has passed away since, uh, once asked for her to say this crow, which I think is brilliant. And it goes like this, who is the man with the master plan from the land of Gracie Grace, Herc Herc. And Gracie Grace was a, it references where the mayor lived in New York City. So Herc was sometimes called the mayor of the Bronx. So that's a, a clever reference to that. Okay, so now I'm gonna speak about 
Coolhark's powerful sound system. You see, it was widely regarded. After Coolhark started doing this, making using the breakbeats and with DJ, and loads of people started copying him. But he would always have had the most powerful sound system during the 70s. And um, his sound system was called the Herculards. Now, not a, a lot of people get confused with this, and they think that the Herculards were his followers. They were. That was not the case. His followers were called the Herculoids. So the Herculoids referred to his sound system, and it was the most powerful sound system around. And there's a guy called Grandmaster Flash, who I will hopefully do a podcast on um, in the near future, because he was hugely influential to hip-hop as well, who I'm going to speak about just briefly now in reference to Herc. He, um, you see, Flash would have been going to Herc's parties. He was a bit younger than Herc, and he would have been amazed, enthralled by what Herc was doing. So he started doing it himself. And Herc knew that he was doing it. So one time, when uh, Flash went to a party, Herc kind of... He kind of joked with him a bit, but just kind of put him in his place. And he said to him, Yeah, I want you to feel the high. I want you to listen to the high. I want you to check out the mid-range. I want the bass to walk the place. Flash, can you deal with it? And uh, Flash apparently ran off at the time in, in just complete embarrassment. But what Hark was saying there, he was referencing how powerful his sound system was and how versatile it was, that it could perform well at high frequencies, mid-range frequencies, and low frequencies. Flash's sound system well, that was actually called the Gladiator. Uh, it wasn't as powerful as Hark's. And um, one thing I will mention is, there was a, a culture came in to hip-hop where people would battle each other. So two DJs would be playing and they would have a couple MCs and they'd both rap and whoever got the biggest reaction from the crowd would win. And um, like Herc battled, Herc never battled um, Grandmaster Flash. So there, there was an element of respect between them. Whereas Flash would have battled um, Africa Bombada, I think, who was another guy who I'll speak about later. They were, they were kind of the holy trinity of hip-hop. Herc being the original, and then a guy called Grandmaster Flash, and a guy called Africa Bombada. But um, Flash would have obviously had a lot of respect for Herc. So one of his MCs one time, kind of in a tongue-in-cheek kind of way, gave respect to Herc, but then kind of gave a little dig. He said, Yeah, it's a known fact. The Herculodes might cause a disaster, but there can only be one Grandmaster. I'll get back to the story now of Cool Herc. He had a very tragic ending to his DJing career. Well, not ending because he did DJ again later years, but in 1977 he withdrew from the New York scene after he got stabbed at one of his parties. He um, he had just walked into to the club and he hadn't even started playing yet. And um, he there was a, an argument going on between a couple of teenagers and he walked in and one of them stabbed him. But um, it, what's very interesting is how matter-of-factly he talks about it. And he, n- no amount of like remorse in it. He just kind of says it, it, it is what it is. I suppose the culture at the time was uh, to not never speak out and never tell the, the cops or whatever. So he didn't say much. But in this interview I, I was listening to, he said, um, that's a misunderstanding shit. Kids come up in there drunk. I walked into a discrepancy. And that's all he had to say about it. And um, another tragic turn in Cool Hark's life he, um, when his father died, he, he, it, it just, it, it really affected him, and he developed a crack cocaine addiction, and thankfully, thankfully, he, he got, he got out of it, and he, he's been clean since. But 
he, what he was doing was he was trying to self-medicate to numb the pain, which a lot, a lot of people do. A very tough thing that, that a lot of people go through. Thankfully, he came through it. And again, see, so many painful things have, have happened to Cool Herc over the years. He, um, in 2011, I remember, he fell ill. And um, he, he kind of... He was kind of seeking medical attention. No, he was kind of seeking financial aid from people to pay for his medical bills. He couldn't pay for his medical bills because Cool Herc actually never made a record. Because he came around before that kind of started happening. He never made a record. And perhaps that was because when he got stabbed in 77, before... Um, records were kind of being well actually I can't remember when the first record was made but I think it was after that point yeah no it, it was actually because I remember that uh, the Sugar Hill Gang released a record called uh, Rapper's Delight in 1980 and that was the first uh, the first like records that did well there was another record released before that by a guy called King Tim the Tired or something but it, it didn't do well but yeah the first hit record that did well and made money from rap was the rapper's delight and that was after Herc's time like Jay-Z just became a billionaire the first hip hop rapper to become a billionaire and Cool Herc didn't have enough money to, to pay his medical bills and I think that's a horrible shame but um, I think somebody must have helped him out hopefully rappers because their livelihood depends on him so I, I would hope that uh, rappers who had enough money would have paid for him but I know he's been torn since around uh, Europe and, and the world so I, I assume that he is in good health because he has a load of tours coming up at the moment and if you'd like to go to see DJ Kilherk just look up his website um, and, and you'll be able to, to, to buy tickets for one of his, uh, his shows. I'm now going to speak briefly about Africa Bambada, who, who I mentioned earlier on. And there's a reason I will never do a full podcast on Africa Bambada, because a couple of years ago, four men came out and said that he sexually molested them when they were young adults and teenagers. One of them said he was only 15 at the time. So for that reason, I, I, I will never be able to talk about Bambada in a respectful way. Even though this hasn't been proven, this hasn't been taken to a court, which I will explain why later. So I don't know if it is 100% true, but just from my gut emotion, from just having the quality of empathy, I listened to these men speak about their ordeals and just the way they talked about their pain and how horrible it was it made me feel just sick like it and i just i do i believe them i personally believe them i'm not saying that's true i'm not trying to slander anyone but i personally do believe them and there are a couple of reasons which i'll explain later but uh, i'm just going to speak about him african Bambada briefly to mention that he he was influential but just to explain how he fits in with all of this you see Afro Bambada, who was from Jamaica actually, or he might not have been from Jamaica, but his family were. His name was Kevin Donovan, that was his real name, and he had been in a gang called the Black Spades Gang. But when there was a peace treaty in 1971, he wanted to get out of the gang, and Cool Herc actually allowed him to become an apprentice DJ. So, if again, if it wasn't for Cool Herc, there would have been no Africa Bambada. Um, Bambada then started an organisation called the Bronx River Organisation which he renamed to the Universal Zulu Organisation as it will be, as it is still known now um, uh, this, this was after he visited a, a countries in Africa and he kind of studied the way they worked together that they had a huge amount of interdependence and he was inspired by it 
and um, the motto of the Zulu Nation was actually peace, love, unity and having fun and it's a, a horribly ironic twist that he would break all of those things if he if he actually did what he what those men say that they did to that he did to them and it would have been at the time that he was preaching all this as well so it really is horrible it's just so horrible if it's true and um, also the fundamental code of conduct of the Zulu nation was to be open-minded respect others and be at peace with yourself and others so again he kind of broke a lot of those too in a, the most horrible horrible way um, two of the people who came out were a guy called Ron Savage and Hassan Campbell and there is one reason that you might question the legitimacy of one of them and like I have to speak of all the facts I, I'm not going to deny any of them but I still believe him even though this is basically Ron Savage when he put out a video explaining his ordeal and that he was molested what he said at the end was oh by the way I have a book coming out so it seems like he might be making this up to just get people to buy his book to stir up controversy but I don't think that's the case because I, again I read the ordeal and I'm not going to read it out to you if you want you can look it up it's just too horrible I, I had to stop reading it like it's just it's horrible and because of that I believe him and there's also another reason which I'll explain in a minute but also New York law states that child sexual abuse victims cannot pursue criminal charges or civil penalties after they turn 23 so these men were about like 40 when they came out uh, with all this so they actually can't pursue legal action against Bambada which I think is a terrible law because so many people suppress um, memories when these things happen and are ashamed and they go their whole lives and it takes a huge amount of strength to be able to speak about this and it, yeah it, it could take years to speak about that so I think that's a terrible law and it shouldn't be that way and another reason why I believe these men and I'm going to read it out. Um, the, the the Zulu Nation actually, first what they did was they attacked these men and they they tried to um, they ex they kind of tried to like slander them and say oh they're lying and they they really brutally the things they said were very horrible to them, but then they took it back and I feel like they did that because Bambada it must have came out somebody must have said that he did it within the community and they excommunicated Bambada he's no longer involved with the Zulu nation and um, the leaders uh, a couple of other leaders were excommunicated as well who made the, the comments towards these men and they issued a new statement which I'm going to read out now and I believe again I believe that these men were abused because of this statement because of the way it's phrased. So I'm gonna read it now if you bear with me. Okay. On behalf of the members of the Zulu nation worldwide, who have made their voices heard through their chapter leaders, we extend our deepest and most sincere apologies to the many people who have been hurt by the actions of Africa Bambada. So it sounds like they're saying that he did it to me and the subsequent poor response of our organisation to the allegations levelled against him. To the survivors of apparent sexual molestation by Bambada, both those who have come forward and others who have not. So it sounds like they're even saying, we know there's more people who this has happened to. 
We are sorry for what you endured and extend our thanks to those who have spoken out for your bravery in bringing to light that which most of us were sadly unaware of and others chose not to disclose. So that what I'm hearing there is a lot of people knew what was going on in the organisation and didn't let it out, which is just horrible again. We extend further apologies to Ronald B. Stinger's Savage, B. Stinger's his nickname, and Hassan Poppy Campbell, Poppy again is his nickname, who were subject to unjust and inexcusable attacks on their character and official statements by our organisation when they chose to speak their truths. And this bit really makes me believe that it happened. They said, they literally say, we hear you, we believe you, and we stand with you. So to me, it just seems like Bambada must have done this. In addition, we acknowledge the negative impact of our organisation's response on survivors of sexual exploitation and assault everywhere, especially within the communities that we call home. We are to be part of the solution, not the problem, and previous statements and actions from former leaders failed to live up to this promise. Lastly, we apologise to the members of the Universal Zulu Nation in New York City, around the States and all around the world, for your having been silenced, poorly informed, very poorly presented, re-traumatised or triggered by previous official responses, and unfairly implicated in matters that you had nothing to do with when so many of you were living by our principles. That's what I was saying, like they, they went, Bambada and all these people who, who lied about what happened were just going against the principles of their own uh, nation, of their own organization. This apology is extended also to former members who felt compelled to leave our organization on account of these failures. So yeah, I just thought it was very important for me to read that out. Um, to explain why I won't talk about Bambada and just to highlight that because that needs to be known that can't be suppressed people need to know about that and make up what their own mind and what they think happened but um so now I'm going to break down kind of my theory about hip hop and the, the question I'm asking is would there be hip hop and would there be modern day rap and trap? Hip hop is the biggest genre at the moment. Would it be around without DJ Cool Herc? And my answer is no, because I don't think hip hop would be around, but I do think rap would be around. Actually, no, I don't. I think it would have come around. I think what would have happened was, you see, there was groups who kind of, before MCs came around in the 70s, there was groups in the late 60s who were almost rapping. Um, there was a group called The Last Poets, and yes, they called themselves poets, but it was kind of like slam poetry on a mic with an instrumental in the background. I mean, I would call that rapping. And um, so what I think would have happened was, the problem would be, I think people would have started rapping, but it would have been over like the whatever the music that was popular at the time was. So I reckon people would have started rapping over disco instrumentals. And I think then, because it would be the popular thing, it would have just been a fad and it would have came and gone. It would have ended after maybe 10 years. And so I don't think it would be around anymore. And imagine, imagine the world now without hip hop. Like, hip hop is the biggest genre right now. It's huge. And it has so many subgenres really trap rap whatever you want to call it but it certainly has the biggest it's the biggest source of entertainment that has the most amount of interest around the world that's what i'll say about hip-hop and uh, i don't think it would be around without dj cool Herc. and certainly it would never have become hip-hop because 
the break beat kind of spawned the like the, the 909 kicks and then later on like the 808 techno but uh trap kicks with heavy hi-hats and all that shit that would never have come because it would have just been over some pop music disco or something at the time and i reckon it would have came and gone after a few years so we're coming to the we're coming to the end of the podcast now and then um, what i'm gonna do is i reached out to a guy called mr green and i, cu- I couldn't find anything online about dj Kilhark in the last few years other than him touring but then i found this album by a guy called mr green and it's called the last of the classic beats and it's i think it's got about 10 songs i can't remember but it's an amazing album uh, Mr. Green is a, a producer and a DJ, he's a very talented and what he did was he recorded himself himself kind of like interviewing Cool Hark and uh, he took snippets of what the things Cool Hark said and he was talking about like the state of hip hop nowadays and just various other things and in a couple of the tracks he talks about how influential he was, Cool Hark does and um, so I reached out to Mr. Green and I asked him could I use two Two, two snippets from two of your songs and put them in my podcast and I was amazed that he even replied to me because this guy is very, like, he's top level and uh, I, was, I was very surprised he even had the time to reply to me let alone let me use him so thanks a million to Mr. Green I, he probably won't ever see this but anyway um, yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave in the two songs there the first one is called Brass Tax and the second one is called No Disrespect and it's just, he highlights how fucking influential he is how he's number one and hip-hop would not be around without him and so he's the original virtuoso of hip-hop the father of hip-hop and here they are listen to that album as well if after this you should listen to it they can't buy that they can't take it away from me and that's what they would like to do i'm not number two or three i'm number one i'm not busy i'm a number one king of the hill top of the heap so who are you well, I'm the guy who created the culture called Hip Hop, but only I, Cool Herc. No Bambada, no Flash. I'm not a copycat, no disrespect. <laughs>